Hey there, this is Zach from Cornerstone Assembly in Truro, Nova Scotia. Thanks for checking out this message. If you're looking for more information about our church, check us out online at truerochurch.ca. Now to the message. Okay, unhappy new year, fine. Uh, happy new year. That's better, that's better. I see you're all nice, nicely wearing your Christmas sweaters. The first Sunday after Christmas is always a Sunday of Christmas sweaters. That's pretty, pretty special. Well, um, it's, uh, I realize that the children are in the service today, so I will try to, to, uh, to shorten down the things I have to say, because I know that's during the services you're trying to wrestle with kids and try to keep them uh, entertained, and, and uh, they have activity packs for the kids. I'm not sure why it's only kids that get those. <laughs> I think I would, somebody with my attention deficit issues, an activity pack might actually be quite fun. Um, but there, there's packs available. And by the way, I'll, I'll just do Zach a favor here. If, if, um, if in a service uh, your child is acting up, now this is not, this might give me a lot of trouble, but I'm not the pastor, but Zach, Zach can never say these things. But if in a service your child is acting up, it is always appropriate to, to, just, to just leave the service for a few minutes to get them calmed down. Now, you're not, you're not going to stop every squawk and squeak, but if Pastor Zach has to preach through uh, and fight for airtime over a child, it's very, very frustrating for a, a preacher to have to do that. And so just as a kind of courtesy, uh, of course, it's very quiet here with no kid right now, so it's fine. Um, it'd be really awkward if all of a sudden somebody's kid acted up, then we'd have a real awkward moment. But do, do, do Zach a favor. There's, there's nursery available downstairs. There's things like go to churches from time after time. And I get in these environments sometimes when, when it's, com <laughs> it's complete chaos in the service. And I'm, I preach the service in a church near here. Uh, and, and I had two children at my feet. <laughs> and they were, and they were like, and <laughs> it was completely, completely, completely ridiculous. And this, this, this child was pulling at my leg and, and I was, I, I couldn't move around because I was scared I was going to step on their fingers because they were just crawl, they were crawling age sort of children. <laughs> it was a complete disaster. Of course, the message went nowhere and I was completely frustrated and I, uh, and, and it's just, so that's, that's, that's just something that you can do to, to help your pastor, uh, is to, and if you see a, if you see a parent struggling with their child, because they may have several, lend a hand, uh, jump in there and, and give them chocolate and, 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 and do, what you <laughs> do what you can. That really, that really helps. I, I don't know why I said that. I just thought about it when, when, uh, I realized kids were in the service. Um, pastor Zach is never going to get up and ask for that because then you'd all be mad at him because you're talking about my kids, but um, it, it was my kids acting up. You can feel free. Like, if Ethan, <laughs> Ethan and Brody get out of control, um, you feel free. Okay, so we're going to talk today from 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I'm going to talk about two characters in the Old Testament, and I'll, and I'll, I'll read the scripture to you in just, a, in just a moment. Two characters in the Old Testament. One is the character David. Now, there's more said about there's more said about David in Scripture than, than anybody else. David, even, even, in modern, even, in, even in ancient literature, there's more about David than any other historical character. King David, king of Israel, a good king, uh, a colorful history and a colorful past, um, but, but a very famous, well-known well -known and, and ex excellent king of Israel was King David. And then I want to talk about uh, his... his his particular part of a story, just after, he, just after he becomes king and defeats the evil king, Saul. 
And there's a character who has a really, really funny name that David engages with. And so, Zach, funny, Zach called me James when he introduced me. Uh, most of you call me Jim, or sometimes some of you behind my back call me other things, but <laughs> most, of you, most of you call me Jim. But as growing up, I was actually James. And then I moved to Jamie. And then I moved to Jimmy. <laughs> and then, then I somehow landed at Jim. And so I had, I have, when I go through my old school books, I have different signatures. One's Jimmy, one's James, one's, one's Bart, whatever it was I had at the time. I had in there. And then what you don't know is uh, as, as I travel across the country, in, in our district, I'm Jim. In every other district in the PEOC, uh, even from a general superintendent, everybody else calls me Molly. <laughs> so when Sandy travels with me, she, she, uh, it's, it's not uncommon for somebody to walk up to us and for her to hear them say, hey, Molly. And of course, they're getting it from Malloy, but they call me across the country, I'm called Molly. When we get to the general conference that happens in Halifax in May, and they introduce me there, they won't introduce me as Jim. They will introduce me as, hey, Molly, can you come up here to... So if you could switch from calling me Jim to Molly, that would really be, really be great. San my wife, Sandy, actually wasn't supposed to be called Sandy. She had, her father had actually had picked out another name for her. <laughs> and she was rescued by her mother. <laughs> now, I would love to tell you that name, but I can't. Because if I do, what will happen is you guys will throw me under the bus. You'll start, start calling her that name. And then I'll be in trouble for revealing the name that she was supposed to be called. And then I'll have, I'll, there'll be tension in the home. But, but names are so significant. And the name of the guy that we're going to talk about today, his name was Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Now, names in the Old Testament were a, a real big deal. Mephibosheth was his name. And, and translated, it means son of shame. Son of shame. It's pretty, it's a, you know, Molly is a little bit, you know, I don't like to be called a girl's name. Uh, but at least I'm not called son of shame, um, <laughs> often, uh, but son of shame. And, and so Mephibosheth is this, is this character in scripture uh, that, that David has, a, has an instance with, and it's a really, really unique name, and names are significant in the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, this is before we get to our chapter right now, there was a war between King Saul and King David, or they would say the house of Saul and the house of David. And what they mean by house is lineage or family of, the family of Saul or the family of David. And so if you said the house of Molly, you would be talking about my lineage. You'd be talking about my kids, my wife, my grandkids, my, I don't have any grandkids. Um, <laughs> and, and, and my parents. And, and maybe if we consulted a lawyer, I might even include my in-laws. But I'm not sure if they actually make it into the house of Molly or not. But there's a, there's a war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And, and Saul was actually a good king, a righteous king. And then things went, un, uh, you know, went off the rails. And he became an evil king. And, and then tried for years to... To, to destroy King David before David was even, was even king. David had an interesting friendship with a guy named Jonathan. Okay? So David and Jonathan 
were, were best friends, okay? David and Jonathan were best friends. The problem was... The problem is my, my flailing arbitro- albatross arms. I've hooked the mic. The problem with David being friends with Jonathan is that Jonathan was the son of evil King Saul. And so that caused all kinds of problems. But, but Jonathan often did David favors. When, when King Saul wanted to kill David, Jonathan, the son of Saul, tipped him off and said, and said, my dad wants to kill you. Please go and hide in the cave. And then David would go hide in the cave. And David would avoid being killed by his, by his enemy, King Saul. And so David and Jonathan had this special friendship. Jonathan had David make a promise that no matter what happened, David would look after Jonathan's descendants. Even though Jonathan was a son of the evil King Saul, because of their friendship, Jonathan made David make a promise to look after his kids. Because Jonathan knew that eventually David would defeat Saul and, and, and David would become king. Jonathan, David's friend, son of evil King Saul, had a son. So Jonathan's son, or Saul's grandson, had a son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson. And ultimately, Mephibosheth should have become king. So what should have happened, if King Saul wasn't evil, he would have passed on the throne to Jonathan, and then Jonathan would have passed on the throne to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth could have and should have been king. But in the Battle of Galboa, King Saul gets killed, and Jonathan gets killed. David becomes king. Mephibosheth is left alive. In the, in, 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 in the historical account, what happens was, in, in the battle, finally David takes over, and, and, and destroys King Saul. And the custom of the day, and the important piece of the day, was that if you were the, if you were the army that won, the strategy was to kill everybody of the other army so that there could be nobody that would rise up and ever defeat your throne again. So the, the plan would have been, if David defeated Saul, David was supposed to wipe out every person in the house of Saul, so that nobody from the house of Saul could ever be a threat to David's throne. But Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, and Jonathan was the son of David, and and so, so Mephibosheth was grabbed by a caregiver and began to run for their lives. And as they began to run, the caregiver somehow stumbled, somehow tripped, and ended up falling with Mephibosheth in his or her arms. And we don't know what happened. It's probably either the, the height of the fall uh, broke Mephibosheth's legs or feet, or, or the, the caregiver fell and landed on, 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 on him. We don't know how the accident happened, but, but, but some sort of impact happened, and it, 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 it made uh, Mephibosheth a cripple. And so Mephibosheth now can't walk and is dependent on on uh, caregivers to, to look after him. Mephibosheth was five years old when this event happened and then had to live a couple decades as a person who could not walk. 
Mephibosheth means son of shame. Mephibosheth is living in a place called Lodabar. Lo means no, and Debar means bread, so it means place of no bread, or, or if you translate it differently, they say it's the place of no pasture. So it's got a, it's got a kind of a barrenness, unresourced, poor sort of stigma to it in this place called Lodabar. But Mephibosheth is still alive. He wasn't killed off by the king's armies as he should have been. And then one day, the king says, King David says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul? What that normally meant was, hey guys, is there anybody left who could be a threat to my kingdom? Because if there's anybody left to be a threat to my kingdom, we need to go and snuff them out. We need to exterminate them so that nobody could ever start a new family and that family grow large enough to become a threat. So we need to completely erase the bloodline of the house of Saul so that the only bloodline left is the house of David. And so the king asks the question, is there anybody left who could be, who, who is from the house of Saul? The wrath of David was supposed to be against Mephibosheth. But when David looked at Mephibosheth, he didn't see the bloodline of Saul. He understood that Mephibosheth had the blood of Jonathan. And he was a friend of Jonathan. Now this has huge echoes for us into the New Testament. Because Jesus does not look at our blood, which is a sinful nature... When he looks at us, he sees Jesus' blood. And because of the bloodline that is in us, he turns away his wrath, and we get to live in freedom. Because when he looks at us, Mephibosheth, he doesn't see the sinful nature. He sees the blood of Jesus. And when, when David looked at Mephibosheth, he didn't see the, the bloodline of evil Saul. He saw the bloodline of his friend, Jonathan. And God looks at Jesus' blood when he looks at us. But Mephibosheth would have lived his whole life waiting for the knock on the door when somebody from David's army showed up and said, you know, the knock came. We even have a wooden pulpit. Can't even, can't even do a knock. He was waited his whole life for the knock on the door because he knew one day the king was going to ask, is there anybody left who has the wrong bloodline so that I can exterminate them? And, 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 and then one day it happens. One day, they're in Lodabar, place of no bread, place of no pasture. They're in Lodabar, and the fatal day comes when a king's army person shows up at the door and knocks and says, Hey, are you Mephibosheth, son of, uh, uh, of, of Jonathan and grandson of Saul? And immediately, Mephibosheth would have understood that's the day of his, his execution. Because he carries, the, he carries the wrong blood. But David says, I want to show him kindness. And so let me pick up the story here in the text. And that's a lot of preamble. And the text was quick, and I just have three things to say after that, and we're done. So let me take you. Here, chuckles. You don't believe me? Okay, well, I'm going to add a fourth. <laughs> I actually have four. And I dropped it to three. But because of your 
you're getting four. Uh, and the fourth was the longest one, so there. Uh, I know, I know, there's leftover turkey in the fridge, and we've got to get back to it and stuff. We'll, we'll get there. Uh, verse number one of whatever chapter I gave you before. Um, David asked, is there, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? And he adds these, if, if it had ended there, it would be a bad day. But he says, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, verse 2, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba, which may have been the servant that dropped to Mephibosheth, not sure. They summoned him to appear before David, David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, Ziba replied. Verse 3, the king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both his feet. Where is he, David asked. Zebra answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So the king had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. At your service, Mephibosheth replied. Verse 7, everything changes. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for surely I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land belonging to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me. The king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse number 11. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands and his, his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a son named Micah. All the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. And he was lame in both his feet. So the dude was supposed to be executed. He was supposed to be exterminated. He was supposed to feel the wrath. But instead, he gets a seat at the king's table. And here's the truth about you and I. <laughs> we were supposed to get the wrath. We were supposed to be exterminated. We were supposed to feel the sting of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and there's a price for sin, and there should have been a day when a knock comes to our door, and we realize the gig is up, the price has to be paid, the sin penalty is due, and we must, we must pay the price. But instead, one day, the king came knocking on your door, while you deserved to be exterminated, and while I deserved to be exterminated, and the king said to us, I want to show you kindness. 
And all of us are like Mephibosheth, where we deserve something, but instead we get to sit at the king's table just as if we were one of the king's sons. We get to be treated by God the way that Jesus is treated by God. We get to be a son of God just like Jesus was a son of God. At the table, there will be the father, there will be the son, and then there will be all of us. Because the knock on the door that day wasn't there to exterminate us, but the king said, I want to find you so I can show you kindness. And, and the Savior wants to show you and me kindness. We tend to think that God is this God with this great big mallet hammer waiting like, like whack-a-mole that when we pop up and do something wrong, we, we get whacked. But God doesn't do that. He knocks on the door and he says, I want to invite you to something. I want you to invite you to my table. Let me give you the three things. Number one, if you're trying to get to Jesus by trying to fix your faults, you'll never make it. If you're trying to get to Jesus by trying to fix your faults and your flaws, you will never make it. I have met person after person after person who has themselves convinced one day they're going to get their act together and then they're going to come to Jesus. But it's impossible because we're, we're cripples. We can't uncripple ourselves. And I, I, I get on, 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 on airplanes and they, people, you know, with the common first question with, of your seatbelt is, what do you do for a living? And I have to say I'm a pastor and that, that either goes south or... Um, where they ask questions, where's your, where's, your, where's your collar? Don't you wear your collars? Are you off duty? Or like, where's your little white? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's just different. I don't have to wear collars. I don't even have to wear ties anymore. So it's like, it's, it's like and so we have these conversations. And then, and, 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 and inevitably they say, well, yeah, one day when I, you know, when I stop this addiction or I fix this thing or I change this about my life, then, I, then I'll, probably, I'll probably get religious too. And the flawed thinking is, is that if we work really hard and get all of our stuff together and get our act together, then we can come to Jesus. But it's completely backwards. Jesus says, there is no way for you to get your act together. You cannot unsin yourself. You cannot take away the stain. There's nothing you can do to make yourself worthy of Jesus. You, you, the knock on the door is coming. You should be exterminated. You cannot fix your bloodline. You are who you are. You, you, you do what you do. You're, you're flawed, and I'm flawed, and, I'm, you know, and, and, and we have all this stuff. And if we think we have to get that all sorted out before we come to Jesus, we're completely misunderstanding Scripture. Because the Bible says it's by grace that we're saved through faith, not by any work that we could do, because if it was by works, we could boast, right? We could boast. We could say, you know what? We, I, I deserve Jesus. That, oh, that knock on the door, obviously for me, must be because God wants to. Like, we, 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 don't, we know the knock on the door is, is ominous. We know the knock on the door is, is not the knock we want to hear. 
But Jesus comes to us and he, he, he knocks on the door. And, and here we are living in Lodabar, a place of no pasture. And Jesus comes knocking and he says, I, 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 I see your faults. I see your brokenness. I see that you can't even walk. And Jesus still knocks. Because that's the pattern of Jesus. Jesus always journeys to us. We don't journey to Jesus. That's the Christmas story, right? God came to earth. God, Emmanuel, God with us. At salvation, God comes to us. The Bible says that you cannot be saved unless the Spirit draws you. You can't, you can't make the march to Jesus because your feet don't work. And then, of course, someday Jesus is coming back again to retrieve us. He, 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 he's coming back to take us back to him, to his table. And it'll be a knock on the door. It'll sound like a trumpet. It'll be, and it'll be another type of knock. And he's not coming to pour his wrath out on us. He is coming to take us to his table and to show us kindness. And if we spend our lives thinking, man, if I could just get myself good enough, then God will save me. If I could just get myself good enough, God will bless me. If I could just fix my baggage, then I'll be good enough. We think if we have a little more, a little more tenure as a believer... A little more tenure, we, we, will, we, we will, will be, we'll be more worthy. And I got some really unfortunate news. I'm 47 years old. My wife is 48. I'm, I'm, 40, <laughs> I'm 47 years old. And by now, I would have thought that I would have got my flaws worked out. But I find that as I pick one little thorny flaw out, out comes a bunch more. And at 47 year olds, I'm like, I should not be this faulty. We can't go to God. We can't fix ourselves. We have the wrong blood. We are broken. We are crippled. We, we, there's something just not right about us. But God summons us. And if we're trying to get to God and get God to do things by trying to perform it just doesn't work that way. Number two. Number two. If you constantly look to your eligibility, you will miss his request for your availability. If you constantly look at your eligibility, you will miss his request for your availability. When that knock came on the door that day, the first question, the first thing that Mephibosheth was aware was, he was not eligible to stay alive. He was not eligible to see the king. But, but the, 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 the soldier of, of David wasn't asking him if he was eligible or if he was worthy. He was asking if he was willing the soldier didn't say, show up to Mephibosheth's door and say, hey, just wondering if you think you're worthy to go see the king. It would have been a stupid question because there was no way he was worthy. He had the wrong bloodline. He had, he had a crippledness about him. He had some flaws. He was not eligible to see the king. And the soldier was not asking him if he was worthy to see the king. He was asking whether or not he was willing to see the king. And God comes to us today, he doesn't say, hey, Matt Holmes, are you, are you worthy to see the king? He doesn't ask that question. He goes to Matt Holmes and says, Matt, are you willing? 
Are you willing to see the king? Mephibosheth didn't have all the things uh, that, that qualified him to sit at the table of generals and kings. And, uh, and, and instead, the king just wanted to know if he was willing. And sometimes we declare ourselves ineligible for the blessings of God because we don't think, we don't, we don't think we're worthy. And God doesn't really care much about our worthiness. He actually cares about our willingness. He doesn't care about our eligibility. He cares about our availability. And the truth of the matter is we become eligible and we become worthy, not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. We actually are, we actually are eligible. We actually are worthy to sit at the table. Because when Jesus, when God looks at us, he looks through the lens of Jesus. And we have every right to sit at the table because he has made us worthy. And there's all kinds of scriptures about that. So Mephibosheth moves past the eligibility question, and then he, of course, accepts the invitation. And even though he accepts the invitation, somebody still has to carry him. Somebody still had to carry Mephibosheth to the king's table. And you will need other people, and we can't do it on our own. I think that's probably why Jesus created local churches, because we still have to be carried by other people. And the third thing is this, and there's the last, last one. No matter who you are, there's a seat at the table for you. No matter who you are, there's a seat at the table for you. No matter what fault you have, no matter what addiction you have, no matter what secret you have, no matter what, there is a seat at the table for you. Mephibosheth was injured by somebody trying to do something good for him, trying to get him away from danger, and, and they hurt him. And sometimes there are people who, 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 people with good intentions are supposed to be looking after them, and they, and they hurt them, and it, it puts... It, it puts things in their, in their emotions and in their minds that they can, that, that, that sort of just, they think disqualifies them. But no matter who you are or what you've done or how you think, there's a seat at the table for you. The only thing you need to do is be willing to go to the table. And if you've been here, even living your life, and you're thinking, I just, I'm not, Jesus is just not my thing, religion's not my thing, church is not my thing. I want you to understand today that the king is requesting your presence at the table. The king is requesting your attendance at his table. But I've got, and I, and I'm, so I'm just, and I think about, and I do the, the king is requesting your presence at his table. But I'm broken and I'm bruised and I can't walk. The king is requesting your presence at his table. Imagine Mephibosheth, imagine that first sit-down dinner. He's sitting down at the table. At the end is the king. And then there's all the king's son, all decked out in all the stuff that king's sons would wear. Then there's generals. And then there's fancy military people. And then there's important staff people. And then there's all the, the, you know, the governmental officials and big dogs and hot shots. They're all at the table. And then Mephibosheth, 
who was supposed to be exterminated, gets carried in and sat at a seat. Imagine, um, imagine the sense that Mephibosheth has of the graciousness of the king. That he would never be hungry again. That he would always be in the best of company. That he would be treated as a son of the king. And when he was supposed to be eliminated, he was included. And God wants to include us today. And there is a table someday that we've all been invited to. And we will get to that table. And there will be Moses, and there will be Paul, and there will be Jesus. And we will sit at the same table. Now, we might need to be carried in. <laughs> we might need to be, you know, a guy like me with the stuff that I've got to work through in my life. It might, I might have, I might have to, like, it might take a couple of people like, they probably won't even want to lift me there, but, but there's a seat there with my name on it. There's a seat there with Robbie's name on it, right? There's a seat there with Zach's name on it. There's even a seat there with Margaret's name on it. <laughs> there's a seat there. You just got to decide if you are going to get hung up on your eligibility Or just be available. My grandfather, he died when he was about 90 years old or something. He was, he was, he was fairly old when he was, um, when he died. And uh, he, he actually quit school when I think he was 14. He quit school to go work on schooners that would travel up the Labrador coast and fish. So as a 14-year-old, he was a fisherman. So he never had any, any education. Then when he was finished doing uh, his work on the schooners, uh, he, went, he went into rabbit hunting in Newfoundland. And he became a rabbit hunter. And what they would do is they would go into, groups of men would go into camps and they would hunt, they would snare rabbits. And I spent a lot of my winters, my grandfather, well, we'd go into the woods behind our house and we would snare rabbits. And those pretty little bunnies, we would catch them, we'd choke them out, and... <laughs> And we would, we would drop them into pots of hot water. And uh, we would eat them. And we would snare. And that's what he was a rabbit snarer. That was, uh, he just didn't have the education. But one day at the, at the uh, as they were sitting around the, after a, a day of, of rabbit hunting and nothing left to do but sit around the fire, my grandfather and his buddies decided what would be fun would be to go to the Pentecostal church and make fun of all the crazies. Because it would be like, what else, what are, like, what are you going to do? You're in the woods, you get tired of your friends after a while. Like, let's, let's go into, I forget the name of the Newfoundland town, but let's go in there, catch a back seat, and let's just watch this show. Because this is better than staring at a fire. We can at least, at least see some crazy people doing some crazy things. My grandfather joined that group and went. And a knock came on his door. And Jesus asked him if he was willing to sit at the table. My grandfather had a whole body full of warts. Warts. And uh, when he gave his heart to Jesus, all of his warts went away. I don't know why. And he has, um, he had, he had one wart left on his body, and it was right here on his wrist, on this wrist, and 
it would fit under his, his watch strap. And I remember my gra- as a young boy, I remember my grandma taking off his uh, watch strap at nighttime to go to bed. He'd take off his strap faster than I can do it. And take off his strap, and he'd point to that one wart, and he'd say, Jimmy, he actually called me Jimmy Lorandi, I don't know who that is, but Jimmy Lorandi, Loranda, I don't know. <laughs> if you're old, you would know who that is, I don't know who that is. Jimmy Loranda, Lorandi, whatever. And he'd point to that wart, he'd say, that's remi- my reminder. And he kept this little wart concealed under his watch strap, but when he'd take it off, he'd pull Jimmy Lorandi aside and say, this is, this is my reminder. And someday, I will die too, and I will cross over to the other side, and there will be a great big table, and at that table will be all those people, and my grandfather Cecil will be sitting at that table, and I will pull up a chair, and I will sit at the same table that all of these people are sitting at, not because I was worthy but because I was willing. And you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. This gig, I'm not worthy. Completely missing the Mephibosheth story. Because it's not about being worthy. It's about being willing. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I'm going to play you a song. This is, it's the end. So we're getting there. And I just, I thought maybe what we could do this morning is we could reflect. We could, we could just reflect a little bit on, um, on the goodness and the grace of God in our life. A great way to start a new year, just to reflect. So would you close your eyes, and they're going to play this song. And, um, I don't know, maybe you need to look back for your own reminder. Carried to the table, seated where I don't belong. Carried to the table, swept away by. Carry to the table. 
Every one of us is carried to the table. We can't get there by ourselves. And this morning, I think it's, I think it's Romans 8.1 that says, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're feeling condemnation, you're feeling unworthiness, today I need you to understand that's not Jesus talking to you. That's the enemy talking to you. Because the Bible says you are made worthy by his blood. And so let me, let me pray and we'll close. Father, I, I pray particularly this morning for the person in the room who feels unworthy, who feels undeserving of your love and of your grace, who is fearing the knock. I pray, God, that today the truth would be revealed, that your knock is a knock of kindness, that you want to give an invitation. So I speak against condemnation. I speak against unworthiness. I speak against the lies that the enemy would tell us. And I pray, God, that every person in this room would respond to your invitation to come to the table, to in 2020, just to be seated at the table of the Lord. In the middle and with our, our, our brokenness, may in 2020 we find ourselves seated at the table of the Lord. We're thankful for the rightful place we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.